You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. If you have a Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 29 as we work our way through the text this morning. If you're a visitor with us, uh, we're glad that you're here. Welcome to Citizens Church, and uh, we hope that you can enter in with us as we look at this psalm, and we are going through each psalm together as a church, and probably nobody's been keeping track here, but as we've gone through 29 different psalms, um, this is only the second psalm that is a praise psalm. So last summer, almost all of the psalms were laments, if you'll remember. We were just down, you know, it was like rainy days and everything. There was, there's been 16 lament psalms already. But this is only the second one that is in the category of praise. And the Psalms, if you'll remember, are meant to be for us like a teacher, right? Our, our kids just finished school, or maybe you just finished university or whatever. It's the end of, you know, the season of the school year. And maybe you have a favorite teacher, or maybe you have a least favorite teacher. But the, get us to do two are meant to be this teacher for us, this guide for us, that will get us to do two things um, better in our Christian lives. And one is to sing to God better, and the other is to pray to God better. Because like any discipline in life, if you've ever learned to do anything, learn an instrument, read a book, run, any, anything that takes discipline, you know that it's just like a grind sometimes. You're just over and over doing this thing. And the, the Psalms are meant to be this gift to us. Because God knows that for some reason, uh, singing is really hard for some people. For others, that's not a problem for you. You love singing. But for others, uh, praying is really hard. And so God has given to us all these Psalms to learn and to over the, the span of a lifetime. And that's really, that's why we're going over, my hope is, all 150 psalms as a church is so that we will, for like a decade as a church, bathe ourselves regularly in the psalms so that we'll learn to sing to God and we'll learn to pray to God in every season of life. So I hope that you enter with us on this journey and kind of walk in. And in our walk today, we are looking at Psalm 29, which is, again, a praise psalm. So Let's just head straight into it so that we can see what David has to teach us. So in verses 1 and 2, David gets our attention right off the bat. It says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So David, right off the bat, in writing this psalm, is getting our attention by repeating three times, ascribe to the Lord, give to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord basically means give to God. Okay, give to God what he, what David says here, what he is due, the things that he is due, which is, in, in the case here, is his glory and his splendor. It's actually amazing that we can give anything back to God. Have you ever thought about that? That God would want us to give anything back to him. There are 
There's a category of people on the planet who are like the, the ultra-rich. I've never even been close to one, but you know the ones that are like the billionaires? You think of like the King Charles or Elon Musk or Bill Gates. These are people that are just the super-rich of the world. And if you were ever to get close to them, you know, they really have no need for you in their lives at all. Hopefully they've got some friends or they've got some people that hang around them. They've got all the money they need to purchase everything that they want or need in this world. They have everything that, you know, the earthly world would want. And so us coming into their space, there might be like a moment of like generosity where they're going to shake our hand or something, but probably what's going to happen is security is going to shoo you away, right? They're, they're going to be protected by this wall of they have everything they need. What about God? Does God need anything? The very definition of God is that he doesn't need anything. He has everything that he needs. He, anything that he does need, he can create and make. And yet, God has created us and has made it so that we are in a reciprocal relationship with him. That actually we need him and he not only needs us, he wants us. So we're going back and forth with God. And in this case, David says, listen, what you are giving back to God is the glory do his name. We are giving to God something that he desperately wants from us because we are in a relationship with him. So we ascribe to him glory. He has created us then with purpose purpose in this world to, to give him glory that's due his name. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 31, it actually helps us understand how we do that. Because it's a little bit like, what does that mean to give God glory? Or whatever. 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's a helpful verse. Whether you eat or whether you drink, no matter what you do, in the everyday things of your life, you can actually ascribe glory to God. Have you done that this week? I bet some of you have. Like, you're in a moment, and you're just enjoying that moment. I, this uh, uh, was a week and a half ago, I was at like a high school musical um, uh, presentation, and my daughter was playing in it. And all kinds of music, and I was just like in the moment. I was maybe I was embarrassing her. I, I don't know. I was I was loving it in the moment. Okay, just you know, great music, good songs, and I'm thinking in my head, God, thank you for the beauty of music. That people can actually enter into this a moment of creating sound that we can enjoy together. Or maybe you've experienced it like eating some kind of food or something, or, you know, when you've gone out on exercise, or at this time of year, we're all outside, and we're enjoying nature, and we're just by the lake, and in those moments, in our heart of hearts, or maybe out loud, maybe you're one of those persons, you just yell out, you ascribe glory to God in the everyday things of life. One author wrote an article called, How to Drink Orange Juice to the Glory of God. How about that? How to drink orange juice to the glory of God, to take in the beauty of the color even of this cup of orange juice, and then to take it in and enjoy all the flavor 
And then to, to know that it's actually doing something inside of you, you know, giving you vitamin C and nourishing you, all of these things you can ascribe glory to God. It's 3.18, that the things of life. Then the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that there's actually a spiritual benefit to doing that. So David's saying, this is part of your purpose. Ascribe glory to God. Then the Apostle Paul says the way you do that is through the regular things of life. Now Paul says doing that actually is for your own spiritual good. He says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is of the Spirit. So Paul says, when you do this, when you actually glorify God, when you ascribe to him glory, you are on the, like your spiritual life, the vitality of your spiritual life is incrementally changed over the years. So this psalm says, ascribe to the Lord glory. That is, do his name. The psalmist is saying to do this so that we will not only give to God what he is due, but we will actually be changed in the process. But I don't know if you've noticed, but in our regular everyday life, there are things that will rob us of actually ascribing God glory. And one of them is pain. Pain can actually rob us of that. And Satan would love to have us experience pain so that we see it as a negative in terms of our relationship to God. But the other thing that can actually incline us away from giving glory to God is pleasure. Pleasure can also like lead us down a path where we actually worship pleasure, and we'll get to that in a minute. So pain and pleasure are both these things that, that war against us in the next second act of giving glory to God. So thankfully, David then in the next section of verses, verses 3 through 9, he gives us more reasoning as to why we should do that. So firstly, we were made to do it. But now he says, I'm going to explain to you why you should ascribe glory to God. So we won't read all these verses, but David, he goes through and, and does two things. First, he points out that God is powerful. God can do mighty things. So look at verse 5. It says that he breaks the cedars. Verse 6, it says, it gives this imagery that it, he makes the calf skip. You know, so suddenly they're like, they're, they're gone because something has frightened them. Verse 7, he flashes flames of fire. Verse 8, he shakes the wilderness. And then in verse 9, he says he makes, he does something so sudden that it makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. So David is using this poetic language to get us to see that God is powerful. He is mighty. He can do some great things and he uses nature to show us this. But if we're honest, we look at that list of things, those are all things that frighten us. Those are scary things. They are things in nature that make us afraid. Now, we have uh, done our best to kind of build a society where we uh, protect ourselves. So we've even got like a building like this that protects us from nature and the harshness of it. Those in the ancient world when David is writing would have been really familiar with lightning strikes, with wind, with all kinds of like havoc that nature is wreaking on them. And so David is using that to show the power of God. But listen, he's, he's using it to show that God is powerful 
over all areas of our lives, even over the ones that are most scariest to us. The things that, you have, hap- that have happened to you in your life that are the, maybe the darkest moments, that, that God has power over those things. The things that you are most afraid of, that maybe haven't even happened to you yet, God has power over those things. And listen, that, I don't, I don't just want to like say that and let those words kind of hang out there because all of us have, through, have been through very difficult things in our lives. And those of us who have lived, you know, longer than a few decades know that there's probably more coming down the line for all of us. Some really dark things. And so the Word of God does not sugarcoat this. It doesn't just kind of make everything look super rosy and that God is powerful and that the only thing coming down the road for you is the good things. It actually shows us people's lives who have gone through deep and dark things and have still been able to, in the moments, ascribe glory to God, even in the dark moments. So think of someone like Job, if, if you're familiar with the suffering, but at the Job is the story of a man who goes through deep suffering. But at the beginning of the story, Job's life is just sailing along. It's the dream life that everybody's wanting. He's got 10 kids. Okay, maybe that's not your dream, okay? But he's got 10 kids, okay? And they are doing well. They are successful. They get together. It's like they're all getting along, and it says they're having meals together, so there's no, like, relational disharmony. They're regularly gathering together. The business is just flying along. Everything is going so good. Job's looking at his life thinking, this is the dream, You know, the kids are coming home on Tuesday night for supper. Business is great. Like, everything is working out. And then it says, the disaster strikes. He loses his business. He loses the things that are most valuable to him. His his kids are all killed in a disaster. Like, in one chapter, it goes from perfect to disaster. From the one that... The life that everybody is wanting and longing for to the life that nobody even would dream that they could have. It's their worst nightmare. And what does Job say in Job chapter 1, verse 20? Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Somehow, Job is able to tie into this deep relationship that he has with God, that in that deepest, darkest moment, he's able to still ascribe glory to God, even in the midst of deep pain and suffering. And then it takes 40 chapters for Job to to work this thing out over many, many conversations With his friends, they go good and they go bad, but it takes time and time and time to work out the reality of what's gone on in his life. So God is powerful, and in the great moments and in the dark moments, we are called to ascribe glory to him. Now, that is a hard truth, but there's another side to this, these verses here that actually, I think, give us a stronger impetus to ascribe glory to God One is that God is powerful, but secondly, it's that God is also personal. God is 
personal. So seven times in these verses, it says, the voice of the Lord. It describes God speaking. It describes God in these personal ways, in these, with this human-like quality where he is able to actually converse and do these things through words. So the, the Old Testament often helps us see the power of God, but the New Testament and the Gospels help us see what God is like in the person, in flesh, when God actually comes. And so God show us what God is like in the person, in the flesh. And so God actually, through the person of Jesus, has a voice. He's able to speak, and he's able to connect with people in a way that is so deeply personal. And so we've got this powerful God who is there, and then we've got this personal God who is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and this is something that is unique to any other belief system in the world. You can take Muhammad and Islam, or you can take you know, some other cultic person, or you can even take like Darwin in evolution, whatever you, there's no other religion that says God, the creator of the universe, the most powerful being, has come now to be in the flesh, walking on the planet, conversing with people, having a voice to speak to us. This makes Christianity and the scriptures unlike any other religion. This is why anytime I'm talking to anyone who's, who has no belief in religion, I just say, you, at least, you know, if you're not a Christian, okay, let's keep talking. At least you should look at the scriptures and investigate this person of Jesus because there is no other person who has made the claims that Jesus has made. That he is God in the flesh, a personal God. And so here we have this personal nature of God coming to us, mixed in with the power of of God at the same time. And so in the Gospels, we see that this, this idea of Jesus speaking in a personal way to his people is a reality for us. And, and those of you who were at the Missional Family Sunday last week, you would have read possibly some of these verses from John chapter 10 that say this, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The sheep follow them because they know his voice. So let me ask you today, do you know the voice of Jesus? When he's speaking to you, can you hear him? Maybe it's directly through his word where it's, it's most clear for you to hear from God, but maybe it's other times when you're out interacting with people, or maybe you're out just in life, and the, the voice of Jesus actually speaks to you, encourages you, prods you along, says, pray for this person, says, give something to this person. Do you, can you hear the voice of God? And if you're here saying, I can't actually, I can't hear him at all, that's okay. That's why we're looking at these psalms so that God will use these truths to sharpen our hearing so that when the voice of the personal God speaks to us, we will hear it and we will know it because we're his sheep. So God is powerful and God is glory to. And David is saying, this is who we ascribe glory to. This is what we were meant to do to give him glory 
glory. Finally, David kind of uh, ties it all together for us in verses 10 and 11. He says this, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Now there's something about this psalm that is not easy for us to see. Um, The first hearers of this psalm, the ones who David would have been writing to, would have kind of understood this. We need commentaries and theologians to help us understand that this psalm is what many commentators believe essentially a copy of a Canaanite hymn. So there's a Canaanite hymn which is written to Baal, which was the god of the Canaanite people, and David essentially has like taken this thing and repurposed it. And so the question is, why has David done that? Why has David taken a local song, a local hymn to a local god that is not Yahweh and used it for his purposes? The reason is that David is wanting his original hearers, and I think us who are reading it today, to understand that all people have a desire to worship something. Everybody is ascribing glory to somebody in some way. And so David here is saying, here is an example of a local people who are ascribing glory to the wrong God. They're ascribing glory to Baal. And, and even in our day, we don't, I don't know of anybody who's worshiping Baal here in Elmira, okay? But in, in our town, in our country, everybody is worshiping something. They are ascribing glory to something. It may be gardening. It may be their family. It may be the travel that they do. It may be, you know, the last Coldplay concert they went to. I don't know what it is, but they are ascribing glory to something. And we do this by nature. Augustine, a theologian from the 2nd or 3rd century, wrote this, that when it comes to sin, the essence of sin is disordered love. So it's, it's putting things in the wrong order. And this is essentially what idolatry is, is making something that is good the greatest. So in your own life, is there something that is a gift that God has given to you or something that is really good that has become the greatest thing in your life? This is what an idol is. It's the thing that if you thought about it, if it was removed from your life, whatever that thing is, that you would no longer want to go on. The thing that if it was removed from your life, you just feel like, man, my life would not be worth living anymore, or it would just be, my life would be a disaster. That is what an idol is, something that is so precious to us that it is actually out of order because God is actually meant to be the priority of our lives, the priority of our purposes, and we place other things in higher priority over that. C.S. Lewis in the book, The Problem of Pain, he writes it this way, It is the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desire before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work and which we shall still desire on our deathbeds. 
when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work, while we are, this is. And if we lose this, we lose all. What Lewis is talking about is this desire to ascribe glory to something. We all have a desire to do that. And everybody's going to find a way to do it, whatever that thing is. And David is saying here, God has made us to ascribe that glory to him. And so we go through life kind of searching and scratching, and everybody's doing that around us, looking for places to kind of give that glory to, and nothing ever kind of reaches the the fullness of it. And even those of us who have known Christ and have have grown, we, we experience this fullness, but it's still not in its totality because we were made to be fully in his presence. And so this last week, actually, I... In the summertime, I like to do different reading, and so I was reading through the Chronicles of Narnia again. I haven't read that book in years. I don't know if you've read that one ever before, or maybe um, it's been a while since you read it. You should read it again this summer. It's a great little story, okay? Great little story. And if, if you know the story, you know that the, the four kids, they all eventually find their way into Narnia through the little cabinet there, and they're walking, and it's cold and frozen and Things are going badly in the story, right? It's, it's all kind of going downhill. And they meet the, the beavers, right? Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Okay, if you don't know the story, you're like, I don't know what's going on here, okay? Like, but they meet the, the beavers. And, and at one point, Mr. Beaver talks about Aslan, that Aslan is on the move. And there's a really interesting thing that happens to the, to the kids. And the way that Lewis describes it was really fascinating to me. He puts it this way. And now, a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if some enormous, has some enormous meaning, either a terrifying one which turns the whole dream into a nightmare or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and you're always wishing that you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Lewis is trying to capture in the little story there this experience that many of us have had. And it's this moment where the longing that we have to ascribe glory to something, we didn't even know what it is, until the, the Spirit of God and the truth of his word comes to us and, and kind of ties it all together and we say, it's Jesus. He's the one. He's the one who deserves all my glory. He's the one who is due all this ascribing. And this moment of maybe awe, maybe even anxiety comes into your life where, wow, God has actually made me for something. This is what David is trying to get us to think about. This is what David is trying to teach us through song and through prayer, that God has made us to ascribe glory to him. And so this morning, as we 
get ready here in just, just a moment to, to take the Lord's Supper. This is actually a moment for us to ascribe glory to God. We take the, the bread and we take the cup and we reflect Jesus, God in the flesh, came and lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And he was falsely accused and he was eventually nailed to a cross so that the sins of the world could be hung on him. But after his death, he didn't stay dead. He actually rose from the dead to, to conquer sin, to conquer Satan, and to give us now this entrance into new life, to experience the life of Christ in the, in the everyday reality. And so we take this bread and we take this cup and we remember and we ascribe glory to Christ. So I'm going to invite those up who are going to pass out the bread and the juice and let me just lead us in prayer before we pass them out. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. God, we thank you that we can pause here now together as your gathered people in this local church and we can eat this bread and remember your broken body and we can drink this juice and remember your spilt blood which was broken and spilt for our sins and we can say thank you. And we can ascribe the glory and the splendor that is due your name. So Lord, in, this next, in these next little minutes, Lord, I just pray that you'll accept our praise and that we would once again glory in all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.